Today's episode is sponsored by Made by Ray. Made by Ray is an independent sewing pattern company specializing in simple, modern clothing designs for women and children. Designer Ray Hoekstra brings you sewing patterns that are easy to follow and learn from with a focus on good fit. Whether you're just beginning to sew or have been sewing for years, you'll love how approachable and versatile these patterns are. Use the special offer code while she naps to get 10% off your next purchase in the Made by Ray shop. And now here's the show. Welcome to episode 85 of the While She Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today, we're talking about building a career as an artist and illustrator with my guest, Jennifer Judd McGee. Jen is a full-time artist and mother living and working in Mount Desert Island, Maine. She describes herself as a nature lover, obsessive doodler, pathfinder, and appreciator of paper, fine point pens, and detailed patterns. Jen creates paper cuts, illustrations, mixed media collage, and monoprints that are reflective of her surroundings. She shows her work in galleries, licenses it to companies around the country. Jen, Jen McGee, welcome. Hi. Hi. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show today. And um, I feel like we've been internet friends forever. I think I think it's been a long time, yeah. <laughs> and we did meet once many years ago at the Boston Bazaar Bazaar. Do you remember? I remember that. that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was in like a weird location that year, and um, yeah. and we met. And uh, so it's just really great to have the the chance to sit down and talk more about your career and how it's developed over time because it's really grown and and shifted in neat ways. So. Um, so I know you live in Mount Desert Island and I, I wonder what that area is like. I've never been there, even though I, I do live in New England, but I've never visited. Um, I, I live on Mount Desert Island, um, in Northeast Harbor, which is one of five villages on the island and, uh, Acadia National Park is here and I, I can actually walk through the woods up into Acadia National Park from my house. So it's pretty beautiful and awe-inspiring here. And um, it's very, very busy in the summer with tourists and summer families that come, and it's really quiet um, and it's almost eerie in the wintertime, but it's it's just as beautiful in a different way. So. That's great. Um, it sounds wonderful, and I'd love to come in and see it. And did you grow up in Maine? I know you didn't always live on Mount Desert Island. I feel like you, you guys moved there at, at a certain point. I, I grew up um, here uh outside of Bar Harbor, which is on the other side of the island. And then most of my adult life lived in Portland, Maine uh, with my family. And we moved back here in 2010 um, and renovated a really small house that we had inherited to make it big enough for uh, my family to live in. And um, so we've been back about six, six and a half years now. Okay, great. So that sounds like it was a pretty different environment from Portland, because I know Portland has a great arts community as well, but it's much more urban. Yeah, it's it was an adjustment for sure. Um, but since at the time when I moved, most of my work was being sold online or being mailed to galleries. Um, it was a pretty easy transition. And I, at the quiet times of the year up here, I, I did and still do feel really grateful for my online community of artists and friends. Yeah, absolutely. I think it could be sort of lonely or isolating if you're, 
you know, in a, in a town that is much, much quieter in the winter. Um, yeah, yeah, can be for sure. Especially if your studio is in your basement. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, so you didn't start your career as a full-time artist. And so I want to walk back a little bit to sort of how you got where you are now. So, um, we were talking before the show that you used to work at a women's health clinic and I'm wondering, um, what you majored in in college and sort of how it led you to that job. Uh, I went to College of the Atlantic and they offer one degree in human ecology, which is pretty much what you make it. Um, and my two big interests in college were art and women's studies, um, specifically reproductive rights and women's health. Um, and so the first part of my career, I worked mostly for Planned Parenthood, um, starting uh in the administrative side of things and then quickly realizing I was more comfortable in the health center. Um, and I started sort of as a, um, assistant to nurse practitioners and then, um, kind of worked my way up. And when I left, I was managing a Planned Parenthood office that was pretty busy and had, um, a lot of staff <laughs> and, uh, I loved it. And I, some of the people that I met there are some of my lifetime, best friends, the women that are attracted to that kind of work are pretty awesome. Um, my kids were really little and, uh, it also came with a fair amount of stress at the time. And since I was managing, I had a lot of extra hours and things like that, um, that were keeping me away from the kids. And I had started to do some more art, um, kind of as a stress reliever, drawing during meetings and just kind of in the, my spare time with the kids doing art projects. And um, my good friend Meg convinced me to put some things up on Etsy in 2007 when Etsy was still fairly small and it had a, a good response. And um, so sort of over the course of that year, I, I started giving some thought to transitioning to doing art as a career with some trepidation and um, and finally did. And uh, it's, it's, that's what happened. Right. And <laughs> started those, on Etsy. Those first yeah. few things that, um, that your friends, you know, said, Hey, put these up on Etsy and they did get a good reception. What did they look like and, and what media were they made from? They were mostly uh, small mixed media collage. Um, some of, some had some drawing that I had done. Some were just different printed papers I'd collected and stuff cut out of old books um, and there were some drawings too, and it's a little bit painful for me to go back and look at what I was making in the beginning now. Um, but pretty quickly people started asking for, uh, archival prints. And so I invested in a, in a, um, really nice printer, um, and started selling prints. And that was really when things got a little easier for me because they were easier to reproduce quickly and, and not have to sort of photograph and write a new listing for every single thing that I put up. Um, right. Because they're not one of, one of a kind, um, so that you right. don't have to take the time photographing and, and writing the copy and everything exactly. for each new piece. Once you have a piece, you can make that as a print as many times as you'd like. And um, exactly. are you still using that same printer or have you gotten a different, you know, archival printer since then? Or are you printing um, out, of, on, out of house? I'm on my, on my fourth printer. Oh, wow. Um, because they've gotten a, a pretty heavy use. Um, and I upgraded to one that can print... Um, 16 by 20 now and makes really gorgeous prints. 
Um, so that I love it. It's it was an investment, but it's a, it's a great printer. And can I ask what it, do you know what it's called offhand, or is it near you? You can look at it because I know people really always want to know. You know sure, what printer a, should I get? Um, it's an Epson P eight hundred. Okay, cool. I'm gonna just and the inks are pretty expensive, but they last a long time. So I've I've been really happy with it. Right, and I think that's one of those things where you know, it is an upfront cost and it can feel kind of painful um, to make that cost when you just don't know if you're going to be able to pay it off. Um, But once you do, it's like opens up a whole lot of opportunities and and new ideas and creativity. I I mean, that's what my guess would be because you're like, well, I have this now. So maybe I can make something like this and something like that and I'll make them into prints. And so it almost like opens that door. Hugely, yeah. I think there are also some um, companies you can work with um, if you're not sure you're ready to take the leap um, that will print things for you and ship them directly to customers or print them, you know, in batches of 10 and send them to you or you can mail them out yourself. But I, I have a lot of customers that will say, oh, could you print this really, you know, really large and bigger than I can do at home? And, and I've I use um, outside printers like that a lot, and I've been really happy with the results. Awesome. So. Do you have one offhand that you can recommend, like a company that would be a good place to send something to to have it printed and shipped, either to sure. you or to the customer? Just because I've never heard of that. And I again, I imagine for some people who maybe are sort of floating a balloon and are like, hmm, maybe I do want to do this, but I'm not ready to invest in a printer, that, that might be a better option. Well, that was why I mentioned it. I, yeah. think, I think it could sort of be a middle ground when you're thinking about what, what you want to do and how you want to grow your business. But uh, the site that I like, um, which you may find funny when you go to it because it looks like it was made in 1987, <laughs> is um, perfectposters.com. And um, it's a little bit awkward to use, but they're uh, affordable and they'll ship directly and the quality is great. I, I have had things shipped to me me directly when I want to frame larger prints for customers. And and I've been really happy with the quality. Okay. That is such a great recommendation. I just had a class last week about Etsy at the local library. And we had a guy in the class who was an older guy, maybe in his late seventies, and he started to make art on his iPad and they're gorgeous what he's working on. And he's like, I want to do this and I want to sell on Etsy, but I don't want to have to print and ship these myself. And I didn't really know where to send him. So after we get off, I'm going to totally email him now. That's a great recommendation. That's great. Yeah, they also print on Canvas and some other materials too. So they they have some options. Awesome. Okay, great. Um, All right. So you started on Etsy. You started selling these few things. And then did you need to to sort of make a plan in order to leave your job at Planned Parenthood? Or did you just sort of one day say, okay, enough? You know, was there... Was there stair steps, you know, we're like, well, if I, if I sell enough this month or something like that, or did you just sort of leave? Uh, I did the math of what I was paying for childcare, um, and how stressed I felt at work and how much happiness making art and being with the kids more, um, was causing me. So, um, I, I thought about all of that and, and ended up leaving Planned Parenthood and then working part-time for another women's health organization while I made that transition. Um, and then in 2009, I was full-time, but it sort of went to less and less time in the health center and more and more time at home. So. 
Right. And then once you were at home, um, you know, we all kind of fantasize, I think, about what it would be like to be at home um, and making yeah. art all the time. But of course, once yeah. you're really doing it, things are a little different from maybe what you expected. And um, and you do have, you had at that time, young kids at home. Um, your kids yeah. are, are now teenagers, but you had young kids at home at that time. And so did you kind of structure your days in a certain way in order to make that work or, um, you know, have some childcare available? Or did you just kind of like work around the kids' schedules? Well, I had some really good friends with kids the same age um, who were close friends. And uh, so we did a lot of swapping. Um, my house was kind of a disaster a lot of the time. <laughs> you know, the dining room table was covered in art supplies and um but I did, when they were at school, I tried to make the most of every minute. Um, but I, I definitely was sort of always working, always responding to emails and kind of multitasking. And I, I think I still do that to some degree, although like, we can talk about this later, but I have a little more structure to my life this year. So, right. um, yeah, um, it was, it was a jumble. <laughs> it was crazy. But I, I look back on it fondly. It was, it was really nice to be with the kids more and have them be part of my days more yeah. than they had been. So. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm a huge multitasker and I'm always working as well. I totally understand that. But I'm also home with my kids and, um, and I do think it does get crazy, but, I, but it is possible um, to do both. And it's yeah. hard though. <laughs> it's two full-time yeah. jobs at the same time. So yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think when I first began following your work, maybe it was, I don't know, eight or nine years ago, something like that, you were doing these collages. And now you really expanded into doing a lot of different techniques. And your style, though, is still your style. Like I can see new work and immediately know it was made by you. So um, if you want to just tell a little bit about the story of of how first you started doing paper cuts, which... I think is an interesting story. And then maybe talk a little bit about some of the other art mediums you've experimented with and, and started exploring. Sure. Um, well, uh, up until 2010, I was mostly doing collage and drawing. Um, and I, I really liked drawing. And I would go through spurts with collage. Um, I didn't always want to do it because it's really messy and um, takes up a lot of space when you're working. Um, and then in 2010, um, shortly after we moved to MDI, I, I had a um, period where I got really sick and was diagnosed with MS, um, and that was really tough. And I started um, having to have a lot of high-dose steroids, and uh, I started on a year of chemo to slow things down because the progression of my lesions was pretty happening pretty fast. And uh two of the things that I was having trouble with were my vision and um, weakness in my left arm and hand, and I'm left-handed. So that was pretty hard. Um, I was really worried about um, how I was going to make art and feeling pretty down in the dumps about it, and also just distracted by being sick and being up here in a new school with the kids and everything. Um, and I, st I had a solo show coming up at Nakata in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, where I had a lot of shows, and I love working with them. And I, I wasn't quite sure what I was going to make for the show. Um, and I started fooling around one day with 
an X-Acto knife. I, I had always done a little bit of pa smaller paper cutting that got mixed in with collage and things, but never really done any bigger pieces. And so I started uh, just working freehand with an X-Acto knife and cutting cutting some paper. And and I thought, oh, I, I kind of really like making these and um, just kind of uh, got a little obsessive about working on them and really trying to make them interesting and, and thoughtful finished pieces. And, um, and Deb said, okay, great. We can show these in the gallery. And we had a, a great reception for them, which was exciting. And, um, I sold, I think I sold out of that first show, which was, which was just pretty thrilling <laughs> and, um, gave me a, a real kind of emotional boost at a time when I needed it. Um, and then people started asking for custom paper cuts and and uh, to people wanted to buy them and collect them and um, and I, over time I've sort of developed techniques that I um, have kind of continued to try to improve and um, I, I I love making them they're really time consuming um, and so they're not always feasible to work on especially the big ones but um, I, I, they make me happier than any other kind of art I've made. So there's a lot of love in them, I guess. And you're using, and, uh, you're using an X-Acto knife and I'm imagining and, and, a pretty thick piece of paper. Yeah, it's pretty thick. I've experimented with a bunch of different kinds of paper and I use many, many blades. Um, I buy packs of a hundred X-Acto blades at a time. Oh, wow. And, um, sometimes I'll go in with tiny scissors too, but I, Exacto is my preferred method. And, um, just as a follow-up about the MS, I found for some reason that I, I don't know why, um, holding an Exacto knife and the pressure on, of my hand on the knife and the paper is a lot easier for me to control, um, when I'm not feeling well than using a pen. I still do dr drawing, um, when I feel well, but it's, even just writing a letter to somebody is not as easy for me as it used to be. So I have to be feeling really good to do line drawing now. So, mm -hmm. so this was, it was almost in some way um, a therapeutic solution. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Which is fascinating. And, um, you know, I think about, and, and I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but I know Matisse, he was in the hospital and he'd always been a painter, but he couldn't paint. And so he started cutting paper um, yeah. He had like painted papers brought to him and he started cutting paper and that led to his incredibly famous and well-known paper yeah. cuts. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's definitely, that's a really cool part of his story and it inspired me too. Yeah, that's yeah. neat. And so, um, so the paper, do you paint it or is it all white or do you use colored papers at all? I always start with white paper. Sometimes I've fooled around with painting it a little bit, but it changes the texture and it's not as easy for me to cut without um, dinging it up or making mistakes. So I, I prefer to use white paper and then sometimes I'll paint it afterward. And can you talk a little bit about mistakes? Because that's one of the things, I, you know, I've tried a little bit to do paper cuts. And yeah. one of the things that always gets me is that you know, let's say you've worked on a piece and you've done such a beautiful job and then right at the end you do something, you make the wrong cut and yeah. um, things come apart where they're not supposed to. So how do you sort of think through that kind of mistake? Well, there are 
two things I would say. One is I never draw them out ahead of time. I always freehand them. So mistakes are easier for me to incorporate into what I'm doing. Um, there are definitely little repairs you can do by flipping it over um, and sort of using a thin piece of paper with glue to reattach uh, where you've cut um, if you've sliced through a thin piece or something. Um, and I've learned those over time. And, you know, my eye can go to them in a finished piece and say, oh, that's that area that I made that stupid cut when I got distracted. But most other people wouldn't notice it, I don't think. But I, there's, I like working freehand and having uh, just, a, I like the looseness of not having it be too fussy. Um, and if I make a mistake, I just sort of go with it. Um, but I don't know if I'd recommend doing freehand right in the beginning. You know, I think most people can, might work, want to draw something out in the beginning just to get the sort of the fluidity of their hand with the, the exacto knife and the right kind of paper. I'd like to take a moment now to hear from our sponsor, Ray Hookstra from Made by Ray. My name is Ray Hookstra and I'm the owner of Made by Ray Sewing Patterns. Uh, we just released a new pattern this fall called the Isla pattern for knits. And it's my first knit women's pattern. And it's a sewing pattern that's super simple and it's really fun. And I'm, I'm really excited about having something out there for knit sewing because I know a lot of people want to sew with knits. So Isla is part of a trio of patterns that I've released in the past year that are all called Presto patterns. And they're all just a little simpler and less complicated than um, some other patterns that I've put out in the past. And so I think they're very approachable for beginners or sewers who um, might not be beginners but are looking to move into making garments for themselves. Um, there are three women's patterns, the Luna pants and the Gemma tank and then the Isla dress. And they all have kind of a different... Um, approach. One, of course, is pants, and one is just a basic tank for those who kind of want something that's uh, simple, um, that's just easy to put together and very quick. And then Isla is something that's focused on knits. So those are kind of the three patterns that I'm really excited about this year. And uh, of course, we have a whole library of patterns for women and children that also have a lot of very simple modern designs that I'm also really thrilled that, that people find very approachable and easy to learn from. So that's, that's really fun. And are they PDF patterns or print or you can choose? So I sell patterns from my, my shop as PDFs, digital patterns, and they come in both a print at home and a copy shop format. So that if you wanted to print them out um, and use them right away, you could do that. The women's patterns are in copy shop format. The children's patterns are small enough that they work well for print at home. But we also have print patterns, paper patterns that are available um, online. And we don't sell those directly from our shop, but we do offer those to um, independent fabric shops um, and quilting shops. And so those are easily available online as well. Check out Made by Ray at madebyray.com and use the special offer code while she naps to get 10% off your next purchase. And now back to my conversation with Jen. And then you got into laser cutting and I yes. think this is such an interesting sort of next step or progression in this um, path. So, um, so how did you learn about laser cutters and then, um, and then how did you end up getting one? Um, it's a funny story. I, I there's a, um, craft school here in Maine called Haystack, which is in Deer Isle. 
Um, and they offer two week sessions in the summer. And I, I had always wanted to go and was a little intimidated, but in 2012, just thought, you know what, I'm going to sign up and go and get out of my comfort zone. So I signed up for a mono printing workshop. Um, and they, Haystack has a fab lab, which, um, I, I'm, I don't know if everybody knows what that is, but a lot of uh, schools and community centers now have these. And it's it's a lab that has different machines uh, to help with art projects. So there's a laser cutter, a vinyl cutter, um, a CNC router, the, the, uh, sometimes a 3D printer. They're just different tools that artists can use to, to try things in a different way. So Haystack had one of these, and I had never seen or even really thought about a laser cutter before but it's it was staffed with um, graduate students from MIT who were trained to use these machines and um, different the different studios could sign up to to work in there and sort of try things out that would help them in their back in mono printing or whatever your studio was and it was sort of like a major light bulb moment for me when I saw how it worked and um it was something I couldn't stop thinking about afterward. Um, just thinking, okay, these paper cuts take such a long time, and could I ever do small editions of them as prints that might? Um, I, they, I just think paper cutting is beautiful, and it, and I was trying to think of ways to make it a little more affordable and and easier to reproduce. And I also was interested in working with wood, um, just to print because you can engrave and cut on a laser cutter um which is pretty cool um so i went home and i and i just couldn't stop thinking about it but they're the machines are really expensive and um so i finally decided to go to the bank and ask for a loan and i had never had any debt on my business before but i i bought a laser cutter and i i had no idea what i was doing in the beginning so i i just sort of sat there and stared at it for a couple months and thought I'd made a huge mistake and then just started watching YouTube videos and other uh, videos online to get more comfortable with it and um, it's it's been a great tool for me and I use it mostly for paper uh, wood and sailcloth okay and, uh, so I have a couple of questions so first is your decision to get a loan um, versus to do a Kickstarter did did a Kickstarter cross your mind it did cross my mind, um, but I, I have always struggled with uh, self-promotion with my business and was feeling too shy to do that and also worried that I wouldn't be able to fulfill the rewards or it would be an epic failure. So that's my own internal dialogue and struggle because um, there have been a few times that I have thought a Kickstarter might be a good idea, but I, I just haven't had the courage yet to try it. So. And how how did it go with getting the loan? Do you feel like, you know, that was sort of a more traditional way to fund something? And do you feel like it was now that you've had, I mean, when was this? Was this a few years ago? This was in 2013. Yeah, the winter of 2013. Okay. So it's been yeah. almost three years. So do you feel like it was a good decision and you were able to work with that loan and, and pay it off and, and you know, yeah. start to use this in a way to generate some profits? It was a great decision, um, especially for me with Etsy um, at the holidays. The ornaments ended up being something that um, 
a lot of people wanted and including um, other, I just sold them wholesale as well as retail. And they're um, easier for me to reproduce in higher numbers. So um, it, it was definitely a great decision. And then looking at my financials for October through December, especially on Etsy, um, you can really see the difference and I, I was really pleased with that. And it felt great to pay it off. So Right. And I think, I mean, that's sort of the second instance in, in your story where investing in a piece of equipment turned out yeah. to really help boost your business and also open up creative opportunities for you that it sounds like you really enjoy, like coming up with being able to make wooden ornaments for the holidays mm-hmm. You know, before this laser cutter, that wasn't even a creative possibility for you. But having it, you're like, hmm, what else can I make with this, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it was a thrill. And um, I still get excited about it. And I don't have as much time these days to sit and say, oh, I'm going to give myself a week to see what I can think of that I've never done before. But when you have those moments, it's it's pretty awesome when you have a click and something great comes out of it. And can you talk about sailcloth? What is sailcloth? And um, how do you, you know, what, what are you making out of sailcloth? I'll back up a little bit and okay. say, um, in 2014, I was invited to have a solo show at the Blum Gallery at College of the Atlantic, where I went to school. And, um, it's this beautiful, big light filled gallery. And they, they asked me to be in there the whole summer, which was quite an honor. Um, and the, the ceilings are really high. And so I was going to do a show of, of, all original paper cuts. Um, but they said, Oh, you know, if you want to do anything else, you can do an installation component to this too. And originally I thought, Oh, maybe I'll use my laser cutter and cut some paper flags with some, uh, of the motifs from the, the original work. And then I was fooling around with sailcloth, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's the material that sailboats use for sails. It's, um, it's, it comes in a few different thicknesses, so I messed around with a few different kinds. And I realized when I was doing that that it cuts beautifully, and the beam of the the heat from the laser beam actually seals the cut as it cuts it, so it doesn't fray like some other fabrics might might fray. Um, so what I what I did, and this is something I do with the ornaments too, is I, I'll scan in uh, some of the original paper cuts. Um, and then send them to the laser cutter to cut. And what I really like about using the laser cutter for my work is that even though I've used a machine to cut it, it still has a handmade feel because I, I made the original designs by hand, you know, so that no lines are ever really perfect and um, it, everything's a little bit wonky. And, and I, I like I like that mixture of machine made but with a handmade feel. And so anyway, I ended up cutting 112 by 24 inch sailcloth flags and hanging them from the ceiling um, in the Blum Gallery. And so it kind of brought the ceiling down. And and when the light came in uh, at different times of day, it made really beautiful shadows on the wall. And it was, I think for a lot of people, what they remembered the most about the show, but I, it was pretty special and, um, definitely a a highlight of my life so far to get to do that. Yeah. And did you sell those flags? I mean, was the work for sale? Uh, the, the original work was for sale and the flags, because I was still so new at it and also not a great seamstress. Um, 
this, the flags were a little wonky. And so I ended up giving them away to my friends and people that were really wanted them afterward. But I've since sort of refined how I make those and now I sell them. Yeah. Nice. Okay. That's so neat. What a neat opportunity. And I remember seeing pictures of it. I'll, I'll see if I can find a picture to include in the show notes so people can get kind of a, a visual of how that ended up looking. Um, yeah, thanks. So cool. So I know a few years ago you began working with a, an illustration agent, um, mm-hmm. Lilla Rogers, who is a past guest on the on the Wall Street yeah. Apps podcast. And, um, and so she now represents you. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that decision to sure. work with an agent versus sort of being completely independent um, and sure. what motivated you to, to try to do that. Uh, so almost right away, when I put stuff on Etsy, I started getting emails from different companies asking, oh, could would you make uh, a piece for this project or could I license that drawing you made, <laughs> which was exciting and also overwhelming because um, I had no clue how to, how to, you know, ask for what I wanted financially for some of those things. So I got advice from different people and I... Uh, <clears throat> I like doing those projects, but I, I definitely felt pretty novice at it. Um, and then in 2010, I uh, had a call from Timberland, who um, had been up here on, on Mount Desert Island and seen some of my original drawings um, in a gallery here and um, asked if they could work with me to license a series of drawings for um, their a line of their women's clothes and and uh shoes they were sort of wanting their that um season to have more of a handmade look and i knew that that was a bigger uh commercial job than i had ever done and i i really didn't know what to do so i i contacted lilla rogers at that point um because i had a few friends that were starting to be repped by her and she had a great reputation um, and they took me on as an illustrator at that point, and they were able to help me um, navigate the jobs that came to me directly and also got me a bunch of other work to do. Um, and it was really nice to not have to sort of manage contracts and, and ask for fees. They they just did all of that, and, and then I did what I like doing. <laughs> so. And did you have to... Um sort of create a portfolio for Lilla so that she would have, you yeah. know, a various, because I know that, for example, you might have had lots of illustration, but maybe not repeat patterns, because that wasn't necessarily something that you maybe were working on in the past, but maybe yeah. she would need in order to have a fully fleshed out portfolio to take with her when she goes, you know, to shows or to, um, to look, to talk with clients and, and that kind of thing, or her staff does. Um, so yeah. did you have to create, I mean, some, some more kinds of work for her? I did. And, um, that was a learning curve for me too, where I, I, um, was really intimidated because the rest of her artists are so expert and skilled and doing all these amazing jobs. And, um, so I, at that point I started watching, I actually had never used Photoshop until I was starting to be repped by Lilla. So I, I bought, I bought the Adobe creative suite and, and then started doing a whole bunch of online classes and how to use Photoshop and illustrator and make repeating patterns and, um, 
that was intimidating. And it, and it always was hard for me uh, to, to keep up with the volume of work that I should have had with Lilla um, that the rest of the artists had, because I also had the, at the same time, I really wanted to be making original work um, and showing it in galleries and um, also had MS. So juggling all of that stuff time-wise was a little bit challenging. Right. So in other words, she was coming to you with almost too many jobs or the expectation was if you were represented by her, then you would take on a certain quota of jobs. And that was sort of feeling like a lot in addition to both, you know, working with your illness and also creating original art that you really wanted to keep creating. Yeah. Um, I never, it was rare that I felt like I had more work than I wanted, but sometimes it would get into areas where I didn't feel like I had the experience that I should have had working with a company. So I was doing a lot of homework <laughs> in the middle of trying to finish a job just to, to have it be the level, the professional level that I wanted to give the company, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, as a commercial artist, you're always trying to come up with new art um, to have in your portfolio for the next time you're at Surtex or whatever. And um I, that was what I had a hard time doing was coming up with enough commercial digital work, uh, to, to keep them happy and have a beautiful portfolio. I see what you're saying. So all you also always have to stay ahead of the game and kind of be looking toward the next season or the next trade show and be fleshing out what you have to offer in addition to doing the current jobs and your own personal work. That's not for commercial purposes. I see. The nice thing about the companies that I ended up working with for the most part was that they came to me because they wanted things that looked more handmade. Um, and so that that ended up working out for me. But um, I probably could have gotten a lot more commercial work if I had had the time and, and, the, and the sort of expert ability to make more digital patterns. I actually ended up leaving Lilla Rogers um, last year and it was a very happy parting. I just kind of came to them and said, I don't feel like I'm meeting your needs. And I am also interested in going in other directions and doing less commercial work. So they still rep me for a couple projects that have been long-term and ongoing. And I love all the ladies there, but I'm really happy actually to not be doing as much commercial work anymore. Mm -hmm. So I think it was a, I mean, to me, it seems like it was a good though um, period, like it, um, was yeah. a good period of professional development for you to it have was, to learn yeah. to make digital artwork, have to learn yeah. to make repeat patterns, have to investigate what it was that a client needed and wanted, yeah. and um, and also for yourself to know: Do I want to do this? Is this how yeah. I want to spend my time? Yeah, no that that was it was great and and it was flattering and exciting to work with the companies I've worked with, and I also learned a lot about. Uh, what it is to have your patterns and designs on products and um, the th- kinds of things you have to think about to, to work with a third party and what kinds of jobs I might want to be doing in the future and what kinds of collaborations I wanted to do and sort of who I wanted to do with them with and what were my values about those companies, you know, and how things were made and where they were made. So 
we can talk a little bit more about that. That's, yeah, I'd that, love to hear all considerations. Yeah, I mean, I'd love yeah. to hear more about that. Maybe you can tell us some of the um, some of the jobs that that you did end up doing. I know you had some bedding and um, some products that were in some pretty big stores. So, if you want to just tell us some of the some of the th- sort of neat results of of that period of time, and then and then a little bit about what you learned about yourself. Um, yeah, so, so I I was I did some jobs for Land of Nod, which is the children's uh, uh, part of Crate and Barrel, and that was thrilling. Um, I made bedding and a Christmas tree skirt and some other projects with them, and um, and I did a bunch of cards for Hallmark. Um, I did um, a couple different things for Target, including a cool paper cut. Um, that they turned into a sort of fancy gift card with em- embossing on it um, for uh, it, it, I think it was geared toward brides and wedding gifts. Um, not, that was really fun. And um, a bunch of other, I did some things for um, Pier One Imports and uh, just there are a bunch more that I'm not even thinking of, but the one that I really was excited and honored to do that I sort of look back on, happily is when um, the MTA Arts for Transit program um, asked me to make a a paper cut for their um, poster program in the New York subway system. They commissioned three artists a year to make uh, art that is shown throughout the subway and all the different stations. And um, that was really intimidating at the time and then really exciting when it kind of unfolded. So. Yeah, absolutely. And so, um, do you want to just say a little, a few words about what kind of values you realized are important to you after having seen your work in all of these contexts and in all of these different places? Sure. Um, there, there, well, there's a lot that goes into it. And one thing I realized was that I wanted to, whenever possible, try to make, uh, have things made in a way that's ethical in the United States if possible, and if not, with a great company with good values um, and transparency. Um, And so um, another thing that I was thinking about as I was leaving Lilla Rogers was uh, a dream that I'd had for a long time of opening my own bricks and mortar shop. Um, And that happened this year uh, with a lot of trepidation. (laughs) And so part of the the dream of doing this shop was to um, start working with manufacturers to, to do some projects. Um, I did, I've done things like wrapping paper and puzzles and uh, wooden trays and um, all the companies that I'm working with on production of these things. I'm, I'm, I feel really good about them and happy to be working with them. So. And do you want to talk a little bit about your store? So your store is called Swallow Fields, right? Yep. And in, um, we should just go back a little bit and just say that that's the same name as your as your shop, Swallow Fields. And I always sort of associated, you know, you with that name. And um, how did you come up with that that name? Just to just to find out the backstory on that. Sure. Swallow Field um, was the name of my grandparents' farm in Pennsylvania, and. They don't have it anymore. It actually got bulldozed down, and now it's the uh, property is owned by the CEO of the health insurance company. But for me, it's a really special place with great memories where my mom grew up and also felt the same way about. So, 
Okay. Um, that's how the name came. And, and, and then tell us a little bit about the store. Uh, it's a, it's a really sweet, um, small freestanding building in Northeast Harbor with painted floors, lots of sunlight, high ceilings. Um, it just has this sort of ramshackle cottage feel. And I had always loved the building and just sort of been dreaming about a shop in the back of my mind and brainstorming about what I would put in it. And then that place came available kind of last minute last spring. And I thought, oh, my gosh, what the heck? <laughs> and uh, decided to do it with the help of um, two great friends here on the island who own another shop in Bar Harbor. And they've shown a lot of my work in the last seven years and been really supportive of my career. So the three of us decided to do it together. And um, I'm there the most um, because they their store keeps them really busy. But they've been great to work with. And I couldn't have done it without them. So. And are you carrying just your own things or are you carrying um, work from other like independent artists? No, I'm definitely carrying lots of other people's work. Um, that part, it's been really fun to expand my own range of products and put things in the, sh you know, have some of my own stuff. Um, but I think I said earlier that I'm, I always am a little uncomfortable with self-promotion and that has been true in this shop too. So I've actually, the great excitement for me about the shop has been working with other people and um, finding small businesses to work with. And I love um, representing all the companies and people that I have in the shop. Yeah. So. And it seems like this would be the absolute ideal place to spend some time when you're on Mount Desert Island on vacation. <laughs> it's it's been um it's a very cozy pretty um place and we uh really tried hard to find some things that aren't elsewhere on the island and some small producers and people that um some a, a lot of it is made in Maine I'd say 90% of it is made in the US and I have uh shopped more on Etsy wholesale than anywhere else I've never been to any shows um so far so it's all people that i either know personally um through the internet at least or know about um or a lot of late night internet searching for the right fit um and let's talk a etsy. little bit about etsy wholesale so etsy wholesale sure. for those people who who don't know and also actually um, Etsy Wholesale is a prior guest on the Wall Street Hubs podcast, too. Oh, cool. So if you want to go back yeah. and listen to find out more. But basically, yeah. that's a separate division of Etsy where sellers can apply to be accepted. You pay a fee to be listed there. And then companies can contact you um, because you have a line sheet and you're set up for wholesale and place mm -hmm. orders um, through Etsy Wholesale for your products. Yes. And, and you're, I had you're somebody who sources that way. Well, I had first worked with them as a seller um, because I figured out that some of the things I had in my shop would, would be good for wholesale. And people had been asking for a long time, oh, do you have a line sheet? And um, I didn't really, and I felt unprofessional. Um, so any wholesale arrangements I'd had until last year were pretty um, pretty awkward and inexperienced on my part. Uh, but Etsy Wholesale accepted me as a seller. And so I learned sort of what a line sheet is and what that looks like and what buyers expect. And it's actually a great platform if you're first dipping your toe in the water as a wholesale seller. Um, 
So I, I was happy with it that way. And then I applied as soon as I signed the lease for the building, I applied to be a buyer on Etsy Wholesale. And um, some of my, my favorite vendors are, are from Etsy Wholesale. And I've been really happy to be able to support them that way. So. Right. And I would love to talk about Etsy just generally, um, sure. because it sounds like Etsy has been a pretty longstanding part of your art career from the beginning when you were still working full time to Definitely. now when you own a brick and mortar shop. I mean, it's yeah. really stayed with you this whole time and um, is still where you sell your work online. And so I just wanted to know why you've stuck it out because I know a lot of people, there's a lot of talk about Etsy and not all of it is positive. Um, and sometimes people feel like you get lost on Etsy. It's hard to, to get found and there's lots mm -hmm. of resellers on Etsy and, and various other complaints, um, yeah. but you're still there and it's still a big part of, of your you know, business life. So, so talk a little bit about your feelings about Etsy. I, I think I feel pretty loyal to Etsy because it was so great for me when I first started out. Um, and it's always been pretty easy for me. Like I said before, um, prints are easy to sell on Etsy. Packs of note cards are easy to sell. Ornaments are easy to sell. So when things sell it, it they, you know, they get relisted quickly and I just have to fulfill the order. I don't need to photograph and write a description for everything. A long time ago, I stopped selling original work on Etsy um, because it was better for me to have things in galleries and work that way. And um, so it's really always since pretty much since probably 2009 only been uh, things I have multiples of, and that's worked well for me. Mm -hmm. um, it, I, it has gotten a lot bigger, and I've definitely read and experienced some of the some of the things people are unhappy about. Um, but a couple really great things have happened through Etsy in the course of my career, which have made me feel even more fond of them. <laughs> One is that they came and did a um, studio tour of my work um, here a couple years ago and wrote a nice article and um, a lot of business and um, connections came from that. So I was really grateful for that exposure, especially as Etsy got bigger and bigger. Um, and then the other thing that happened was that last summer in 2015, they invited me and a, a dozen other sellers to go to DC for a, a couple days of advocacy. Um, they paid for my trip and they invited sellers from all over the country. And we went and met with legislators and talked about issues that affect micro business. And, um, it was, it was pretty, I was intimidated to go. I went and I, my favorite part of the trip was actually just getting a chance to chat with those sellers and know about what they're doing and how they're doing it. And, um, I made some great connections and I actually carry a lot of their work in the shop now and we all stay in touch, which is pretty cool. And when we talk about, and I, I interviewed you for an article that I wrote about that trip, um, and mm -hmm. I think it's something that maybe not everybody is aware of, but when we talk about advocacy, so Etsy has a branch of um, 
of their of their business where they are are traveling to DC with these trips some people could call it lobbying they call it mm-hmm. advocacy and basically yep. they're they're choosing issues that are focused on small business solo entrepreneurs that affect solo entrepreneurs so things like net neutrality and um and having uh health insurance and, and that sort of thing and they are um setting up meetings with congressmen and um, and going, you know, before, uh, committees and having actual sellers present what is important to them and why mm-hmm. they need certain things to be decided in a, in a particular way. And so they're really working on behalf of all of us to, mm-hmm. um, make federal regulations that are in our favor. Yeah. And I think that's something people don't maybe understand that they're working on. And I think it's really admirable. So yeah, I do. I do too. And, um, it gave me a lot of respect for all the, the different moving parts that they're dealing with. And, um, yeah, so Etsy will never be the way that I make all of my income. Um, it's always been one revenue stream among, you know, a few that, um, keep things, uh, working for me. And, um, I actually have a lot of high hopes of getting an online shop going for the for the new store, um, I'm probably going to use um, Shopify, I think, and that will be uh, original, some original work there, and then some of the special products that I've made for the shop, um, and also some of the other things that we carry. That uh, if those companies are comfortable with me selling online on their behalf, so it'll ne- it won't ever be everything we have in the shop, but it'll it'll be a flavor of of what we sell at Swallowfield. So, mm-hmm. and yeah. I also wanted to talk about you had this incredibly beautiful video on your site, and I know that you've said a few times that self promotion is something that is difficult for you and has been hard throughout this entire time. Um, but this video, it's just really lovely. And maybe I'll, um, maybe I'll embed it in the show notes. So people, if that's okay with you, so people can see it and, and get a feel for it. But it basically sort of shows you at work in your environment where you're working in your studio and it's on your about page on your website. And I feel like it's short. I mean, it's, I don't know if it's two minutes, something like that, but it gives us such a good sense of, who you are and what your approach is and what you look like and what your, um, what your, you know, practice looks like, what your work looks like. And I feel like as the web develops, you know, over the next five years, let's say three years, having a video, a professionally made beautiful video like that on the, on an about page is going to become more and more crucial. So I wondered how you got that made and and what the thinking was. Um, Well, I'm really lucky to have, uh, become friends over the years with the people who run Moore and Co. Uh, in Portland, Maine. It's uh, Christopher David Ryan, Maria Vitiste, and Ryan Shamala. And um, Maria and I have been friends uh, since I first started showing things on Etsy and Flickr, and it's developed into a um, a real in-person friendship. And um, a few years ago, they started a, a three-person company doing marketing and branding and different things. And um, they also now have a, a bricks-and-mortar shop in Portland, Maine. Um, but I I had never had a website uh, separate from Etsy, and, and I was really intimidated about how to do it. And it's, um, 
I contacted them to see if they would be willing to help me. One to just sort of be a simple portfolio type website where people could get a flavor of things. And um, they, all three of them helped me in different ways. Um, and they said, oh, what do you think about doing a video as part of the package that, that we're going we're gonna to present um, to you? And I said, I don't know. I was, I was so nervous about it, but they made it really easy. The three of them came up here for a couple days and um, we just worked on all aspects of it, including the new logo and sort of the different elements that would be on the website. And, and Ryan shot the video and they just talked to me quietly in, in my studio and made me feel as comfortable as I probably could have ever been, uh, which was still pretty uncomfortable. And um, that they, they, Christopher David Ryan made the music for it. Um, uh, it's an original tune. And it, it came, I mean, I was really happy with it because it, it actually felt like it was representative of me um, in a way that didn't feel overwhelming if that makes sense yeah and, no, it uh, feels so we, really true to you I think yeah yeah um and I sometimes forget it's there and then I feel shy when I think oh yeah that's still there because it's a couple years old now um but I it has been a, a part of the website that a lot of people comment on and and um I'm, I'm really glad we did it yeah I think it was a, a really good investment and I think if yeah. If people are sort of wondering, should I get a video made or it seems kind of vain, you know, to be yeah, like, sure, yeah. here's a bunch of money. Come to my house and shoot a video of me all about me. I'll be the star, right. you know, right. but actually, exactly. um, I know it feels so awkward, but it is really effective, I think. And so, um, yeah, so people are on the fence, they should go for it. Yeah, if you're an introvert and you're thinking about it, watch watch it because it'll give you hope that you might be able to do, do something like that sometime. Absolutely. So, and so, yeah. um, all right, so toward the end of the show, I always ask my guests to recommend something that they are enjoying right now. So this could be pretty much anything you would recommend to a creative friend, um, a book or a magazine. It could be a special art supply or a special tool or an app or a website. So um, anything like that. And, and I don't think I, I told you this in advance, so I am putting you on the spot a little, which I apologize for. But, um, oh, no, no, but if there's okay. anything that you could recommend to listeners that would be fun for them to pick up and take a look at, um, go for it. I'm um, completely charmed and inspired by Grace Bonney's new book in the Company of Women that just came out. Um, it's about a hundred different female artists and makers, um, and it's great interviews and, uh, widely representative of women. Um, and, and just is, I'm kind of reading it really slowly right now because I am trying to really savor each one as I go, but it's a beautiful book. And, um, I, it, I also sell it at the shop because I knew I was pretty sure I would like it. It just came out a month ago or so. And, um, it's, it's a very easy book to sell because, um, I, I feel so strongly that people, artists and creative women should have it in their hands and use for inspiration. So. It is on my holiday wish list, and, yeah. um, I think it's going to be a book I buy for a lot of people this holiday yeah. season, um, and I'm excited to to get it myself. Um, and so Grace's Grace's wife uh, Julia Tertian just actually came out with her first 
cookbook also, uh, Small Victories, which is also beautiful and really well done. Um, so that's another another book you might look at. They're a dynamic duo. It's amazing. They are. Yeah. They're, so amazing. they're very inspiring. And when yes. you think about authenticity and trying to sort of represent yourself online in a way that feels true to you. I think of them both as role models that way. So. Absolutely. And they do, they've done some really nice um, Facebook live videos as well. I don't know if you've seen any of those, but I've watched some of them and um, like Julia will be in the kitchen cooking. Um, Grace will be answering questions about like home decorating and they just do such a nice job together in their house in upstate New York. And you really get a sense of who they are and, um, and their point of view. And I, I really like the way they're using that medium too. Okay. I agree. Yeah, they're they're inspiring, and I, I, she, Grace has been somebody I've followed and admired since I first started out. So it's been really fun to watch her career evolve and her kind of grapple with the same questions that we all do about, you know, how much do you put online and what do you say and how do you, how do you be true <laughs> about what you're putting online? And so, so she's a role model for me that way. Yeah, absolutely, especially as. You know, her business is a business primarily of blogging. And yeah. um, she's talked a lot about sort of native advertising and banner ads and the changes that have come there and what's been asked of her and her company and how she sort of navigated through, okay, how much of this stuff is going to end up being sponsored content and what do we need to do to, to sort of weather this storm? And it's, right. it's really hard to figure that out. And as you said, she's been at this for a really long time. I've definitely been following Design Sponge from the very beginning. And, um, anyway, so, but she, and she's still here and still going strong. There is a way to get through it. Um, yeah. but sort of talking openly about that struggle is really important. Yeah, and, and also the, the sort of changes and choices she's making about what kind of content she wants to showcase, which is also inspiring to me. Right, so, so coming from a diverse set of makers, for example. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and mm -hmm. all the thought she put into who she asked to be in the book. I mean, she, she really worked hard, and it's it's just a great I, – I, I couldn't recommend it more highly. All right. That's a really good one. Um, well, Jen, it's been wonderful talking to you. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Walshy Naps podcast. Thanks for asking me. And you've been listening to the Walshy Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Visit my blog, walshynaps.com, where you can sign up for my email newsletter to get the best in sewing, blogging, and small business delivered right to your inbox each week. And remember to visit today's episode sponsor, Made by Ray. Made by Ray sewing patterns are simple, modern designs for women and children. Made by Ray offers copy shop files with every digital women's pattern purchase in addition to the printed home pattern pieces. Find select Made by Ray patterns in print at your local fabric shop and visit the Made by Ray blog to access free patterns, tutorials, and sew-alongs to help you build your sewing confidence. Use the special offer code while she naps to get 10% off your next purchase in the Made by Ray shop. Thanks, Made by Ray. And if you enjoy the show, tell a friend about it. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.